So, but um, as you heard several times before, my name is Brent. For those that know me, and I'm your lay pastor. And those who don't know me, Jamie lovingly calls me the grumpy pastor. So, and it's at this point, Jamie always says, it's my honor and privilege to present uh, the word to you this morning. And I would agree, it is an honor and pleasure, but I need to add a couple other adjectives. I'm excited and I'm terrified. It's been a year since I gave a sermon, and I'm excited because I get to handle the Word of God and give you some truth. I am terrified because I have to handle the Word of God and give you truth. It is a two-edged sword. So, um, with that in mind, and the terror that I'm experiencing, we're going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do give you praise, honor, and glory. We confess to you that you do hold the keys of life. And I ask that you show us some of those keys this morning, Lord. It is an honor and a privilege to be in your house this morning, to be able to sing praises to you, to be able to have corporate prayer, to enter into your throne room, and an honor and privilege to hear your word spoken, Lord. And as I prepared this week, how you gave me conviction of my life, and I pray for this conviction for your people, Lord. I ask that you remove every bit of myself from me, Lord, and only your words would come forth. Something that I prepared that is not from you, that you make my tongue dumb, and if there's something that you have for your people this morning, Lord, that you would put it in my mouth. And once again, Lord, you are most glorious, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, we are in Second Corinthians chapter 5, and we're continuing the series. Okay, all this technical stuff for an old guy like me. Um, if you're using our church Bible, we're on page 966, which is up there. If you don't have a Bible, please use that and take it home with you. It's our gift to you. So, I'm going to read through the Scripture passage in in a whole, then we're going to break it down verse by verse and see what the Lord has for us this morning. 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, starting at verse 11, going to 15. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you a cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For for if we are beside ourselves... It is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So, 
Let's look at this verse by verse and beginning to break it down. And the first thing I notice is, therefore, starts out with therefore. There's always that transition word. What is the therefore? So we're going to have to actually back up to last week and look what we uh, looked at last week, even though I wasn't here. We're going to look at it anyway. Um, in the, the preceding verse of 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, let me read it. In the, the verse preceding, chapter 5, verse 2, verse 10, excuse me. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or whether evil. So right before that, we looked at the judgment seat of Christ, so we need to go back there. But even before that, we're looking at this in sections, but it's a continuous letter. So we need to go back the last several weeks to see what the Lord is leading up to. Three weeks ago, we looked at 2 Corinthians 4, 7, which said, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So what Paul was doing here, he was using the analogy of the, of the clay pots. And the treasure of the gospel is great, but it is carried in clay pots. And those clay pots are you and I. We are fragile, but God is great. Using the, the, the analogy, we're the clay pots, we're fragile, easily broken. But what is contained in us is God and the gospel. So, our weakness is needed to show the greatness of the gospel. And that's what Jamie's sermon was on several weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we looked at, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, beyond all comprehension. And he talked about the, the um, trials and tribulations and the suffering we go through is nothing compared to the glory of what's going to happen um, when, when Jesus comes back. And then again last week, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Let me put this all together, so leading up to what Paul is telling us, starting in this verse. We are weak vessels proclaiming the greatness of God. But our weak and fragile state will only last for a moment in the view of eternal glory. Knowing that, live to please the Lord with an eye towards eternity. Or to quote Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher of the 1800s that I, I like reading, time is short, eternity is long. It is only reasonable that this short life be lived in the light of eternity. Our eternity is consummated at the judgment seat of Christ. And what I mean by that is, when you become a Christian, your eternity starts then, because you have the assurance of salvation. But as we looked at last week, our tents that we live in here are always groaning towards eternity. So I don't feel like I'm living in eternity because I'm still in this life. But as a Christian, we are in eternity. But our eternity is consummated or comes to full realization at the judgment seat of Christ. When we stand before God in judgment, 
and we get our rewards, then the, the, um, we'll have that joy. And that's where we pick up in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. So the judgment seat of Christ, just briefly from last week, is when the Christian is to receive our rewards, what is good and both evil. We receive for what we've done good in the, in the uh, kingdom of God, just as he, Jamie talked about, even when you give a cold glass of water to a stranger, that is something good, and Christ will remember that for you. But let me be clear. We are saved by grace and not our works. So, this judgment seat is only if you are in Christ. The Bible makes it very clear that if anyone's name is not found in the book of life, if you're not a Christian, you'll be thrown into the lake of fire. So, um, the, the overall theme for my sermon today is your life should reflect Jesus as Jesus gives us life. And the first thing I want to go over is your life is your testimony. And what it talked about here is we have the fear of the Lord, therefore we persuade others. What does that mean? Fear of the Lord has several meanings in the New Testament. The Greek word is phobos. That's where we get the word phobia. And we're all very well aware of the phobia. Some people have arachnophobia. Just the sight of a spider, they freak out. Every, I won't say everybody, but a lot of people have phobias, and it's unfounded. You just have this, this fear. And you know that gripping fear when you, when you come across that. So we understand that, that fear of phobia. And if your name is not written in the book of life, That's the word fear that you're going to experience when you stand before God. You will stand before God and not covered by the righteous robes of Christ, which he talked about last week. Hey, even though I wasn't here, I still listened to him. Um, But fear also means respect and awe and reverence. Since we know the reverence or we have the fear of the Lord, we must persuade others who have that terror or fear to look forward to. So we have the fear of the Lord in reverence, and we all know people who will have fear of the Lord because they're not Christians. That should persuade us to tell people um, about Jesus. And the word that was used here is persuasion. And how do we, we... How do we persuade others? Well, every time we speak the gospel, we are persuading others. Every small act of kindness you have ever done, and people know that you're a Christian, you're reflecting Christ. That is, um, you're, you're persuading others. We also persuade others by our negative actions. And I'm not going to point fingers because I'm just as guilty. Do I say some words I shouldn't in front of other people when I get mad or angry or frustrated at work? Yes, I do. And sometimes it's like, I thought you were a pastor and that came out of your mouth. 
I'm still a broken vessel, a clay pot. So, so your whole life, if you want, if you want to or not, it doesn't matter. Your life is your persuasion. By your action, you're persuading others. So again, your life is your testimony. Oh, I'm supposed to be moving this, aren't I? Therefore, we persuade others. But what we are, what we are is known to God. And the literal translation says, but we are made manifest to God, meaning we are visible to God. God sees the true you. Everything you do, He sees you even more true than you see yourself. We all deceive ourselves. And the, the Bible also tells us that our heart is wicked and our heart can deceive us. But God knows your heart. Conversely so, I may do something and God sees my heart and the purity of what I'm doing for Him. So, so God knows your heart. He sees your actions. And more importantly than your actions is your motivation and your heart. So, Paul's saying, we have fear for the Lord. We need to ha- persuade others by our actions. And, and your actions and your heart that goes into it is known by God. And I hope it is also known to your conscience. So Paul knows the motivation in persuading others. And Paul hopes it is also in their consciousness. Or in my words, be good examples for others to be persuaded. So be good at examples, because once again, your life is your testimony. There, I moved at that time. That's kind of cool. I'm not used to all this tech stuff. You know, it's sidebar. Um... When I went to school, everything was pen and paper, and I go on the campus every once in a while now, and everybody's clicking away on a computer, and it's like, what are they doing? <laughs> anyway, yes, I'm old. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Remember a couple weeks ago... Um, we looked at Paul was defending himself. And he's going back to that verse. And that verse was, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendations from you? So in context, as Paul flows together, he's still defending himself. And he went back to that. And basically, Paul established the church in Corinth. And when he left, men of elegant speech and great charisma snuck in. Because of this elegance of speech and charismatic men, some in the church then is like, well, look at Paul. And as Jamie has described, it's a short, pudgy, bald man who doesn't speak very well. And he also coined a new word, if you remember. They, they said that Paul was weak and he was fickle. And it came out by Jamie, he was wickle. So we all had a laugh then. But Paul is still defending himself and um, about these, these false men. 
they would come with letters of recommendation, and that's what he's talking about. Are we coming to you with letters of recommendation? No, he doesn't need a letter of recommendation. His life is his letter of recommendation. Um, and defending himself was from these men coming in. And God, from the very beginning, knew as he established the church that these men would be out there. Back in Acts 8, excuse me, Acts 20, Paul, when he was um, establishing the church, says, After my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And we still see that today, that you need to stay on guard from, from what comes into the church. And so back then and today, too, when they see these men of charisma and have very elegant words, the world sees the outside appearance of these men men and think it's good because they have elegance. But they're only delivering empty promises and empty wallets. So how do you know what a wolf is? The wolf will say, look at me. Do what I say and you'll be happy and successful. And so false teachers has been with us since the very beginning, and we still see them. And this is putting in context, God sees their heart too. And God sees your heart. So, just as a sidebar, again, how do you know what a wolf is? Usually a wolf will, will point to himself. Look at the, the ministry I'm doing. He has sprinkles of God in there, but they're looking, what am I doing? Or pointing to another man. Any real preaching will always point to Jesus. Um, and so how do you guard yourself against that? You need to know the word. So when they speak false things like, you can have your best life now. But that's a falsehood. You need to know your word. What have we been talking about week after week here? We should have our eyes on eternity. Not your best life now. So when you hear something like that, that should bristle in your conscience or bristle in your, in your spirit. Because if you know your word and you hear that falsehood, that's implanting the word of God into your spirit. As I said, sidebar, let's move on. So again, Paul is saying, I am an example to you, and you be examples to other. Again, let your life be your testimony. For whiff, where we're, we're whiffing again. No, I'm not playing wiffle ball. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Yeah, okay. For the love of Christ controls us. I actually did 13 and 14 together, but I... Didn't do it on my slide. That's what threw me off. I'm sorry. So if we are beside ourselves, what does that mean? So I read this. Okay, I'm beside myself. I'm anxious. What does that mean? If you look it up in the original language, it literally means to be insane or out of one's mind. So if we're insane, it's for God. So I had a problem with that until I dug in. It says, basically, the world tells us we are nuts to suffer for the sake of the gospel. 
Have you ever become a Christian and lost friends or strife in, in the family, and they're like, what happened to them? Well, that's the love of, of, of because of the things I used to do, I no longer want to do those. So the people I hang out with when I was going out on Saturday night and doing things I shouldn't, they don't want to hang out with me anymore. So you lose those friendships. And they think you're nuts. Or as DC Talk would say, it's, are, are you a Jesus freak? So anyway, so the world tells us we're nuts to suffer for the sake of the gospel. So they're saying you're out of our mind to, according to the world. But if we are out of our minds, we're out of our minds for Jesus. And that's a good thing. But then Paul says, but if we're in a right mind, it's for you. So he's in his right mind to show the church that the love of Christ is controlling him. So yeah, we may be nuts, but it's all because of Christ. And Christ is controlling Paul just as Christ should control us. And it's interesting, the original word... Um, is better translated as compelling. And the word, base word for compelling means to, to press together. And as Jesus presses on Paul, he spills out to others, is what he's saying. And we should do the same thing. And the best word picture I, I can come up with, I, I, I know it's, it's cheesy, but as you press on a, on a tube of toothpaste, the toothpaste just flows out. And that is the, the word picture I get as Christ compels me, I should be flowing out to others. So, let Christ control your testimony. Here again, Paul has his eye on eternity and not the present. Um, and from last week's sermon, again, I will borrow what you believe about tomorrow will determine how you live today. So it's okay if we're seen as nuts. God's controlling us. It's okay if we're seen as nuts. Let Christ control your testimony. Next verse. Maybe. Because Christ controls us, comma. And this is where I pick up. Because we, because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. In verse 15, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who fear their sake. Let me read that again. Yeah. Let's just do it all over again. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who their sake died and was raised. Basically, what I'm saying here is you belong to Jesus if you're a Christian. The one, Jesus, has died for all. Not only did he die, he was raised. That is the power of the gospel. But looking at this, I want to look at the verb tenses, which is kind of crazy for me. I went into the sciences because I didn't like English, and now I'm going to talk about a verb tense. One has died, and that, that verb tense for died is the aorist, which means 
That's an act that happened in the past. It's not going to happen again. It's something that happened previous. So one died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live. And the verb tense for living now is a present participle, which means a continuous action. So what does that mean? When Let's put that together. Because of the action of Jesus some 2,000 years ago, a one-time event, I can continuously live or have eternal life now forevermore. How cool is that? Because something that Christ did one time, we can all have eternal life forever. For He died for all, that those who might who live might no longer live for themselves. So I can't live for myself anymore. But for Him, Jesus, for who your sake, He died and was raised again. So let's put this all together. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for man. Fully man, fully God. God the Father cannot be in, pres- be in the presence of sin. I am sinful. But Jesus, who's fully man and fully God, lived a sinless life. Jesus paid the penalty for your and my sin when he died on the cross. More importantly, God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is alive to make intercession on your behalf. That is the gospel. And since Jesus died and was raised for our sake, we no longer live for ourselves. But we need to live for Jesus. Did you know that you're not your own? Do you know that you were paid with a price? And that price was the life of Jesus. Jesus paid for your life. You belong to Jesus. So the question is, And this is where I got convicted. Are you living for yourself or are you living for Jesus? So let's put this all together in in context for what what Paul is saying from looking several weeks ago, today, and even forward to next week. The love of Christ which compels us appears crazy to the world. The love of Christ compels us to persuade others. This gives us the reverence and respect and fear of the Lord so we can persuade others who only have terror for the Lord. Your life is your testimony. Your testimony will persuade others. You belong to Christ. Your life should reflect Jesus just as Jesus gives us life. Well, let's have some practical application. That's very high and, and, and lofty. So what, what does that mean? How does one let Jesus control their life? Well, I think it, it begs... Here, I'll keep up there. It begs the, the, the question, first, you need to be a Christian. And I'm not going to assume that everybody in here is a Christian, and that's why I, I gave the gospel. If you have the terror and fear of the Lord, now's the time to, to confess your sins 
to the Lord. I don't want you to confess your sins to the Lord so you have hell insurance because it is a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the Lord. But I want you to confess your sins because the Holy Spirit has convicted that you are a sinful person and need the love of Jesus in your life. So after you become a a Christian, Jesus will only control your life as much as you allow him. How do we allow him? Again, these are are basic Christian concepts, but I'm going to talk about it until I get it right. Spend time in the Word of God. You need to have your quiet time. You need to be reading your, your scriptures continuously. That's when it's in your heart. And when things of this in your life bump you, hopefully the Spirit bumps out. Spend time in prayer. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more control He'll have over you. Continue to participate in corporate worship and Christian fellowship. You become like the people you hang out with. Be sure you hang out with the good people. But let's have some practical application too. So you, you're doing all these things. How do you persuade? Well, we, I did say that you persuade with your testimony or how you live your life and people see that. But we also, uh, the Great Commission, you know, is, is therefore go out and... and um, Present the gospel. So we should always be in a position ready to present the gospel. And and I say this, I don't think that you need to be in the mode of, I got a witness, I got a witness, I got a witness. Because when I get in that mode, nothing ever happens because that's Brent doing it and not Jesus. But if you live your life to where you're in the scriptures and that you're spending time with Jesus, he will bring the opportunities to you. And I just had a couple examples. Um, some years ago, I was, had a, was interviewing a gentleman, and he flew in for the interview for a job that I was hiring. And his flight didn't leave, and he hadn't eaten yet, so I, I took him to Joe's Crab Shack in Dayton. So that tells you how long ago it was. But anyway, we're, we're sitting there eating and um, getting to know each other a little more post-interview. And it's like, so what do you do in your, your spare time? And I told him I was pretty active in my church, which led to spiritual talk, which led to me giving him the gospel. And he's like, you know, you're the third person in a week who's just told me this. God God um, orchestrated that. And I'm like, do you understand what I'm saying? He's like, yeah. You want to pray? He goes, yeah, I think I'm ready. So it wasn't me. It was God. Um, I had the opportunity this week to go to a funeral of a friend of our family's who's a dear saint. And for the last 17 years, she had Alzheimer's disease. And, um, but she was a, a woman of faith. And she would tell everybody about Jesus. She would go to Walmart. She spent time um, in, in Haiti doing mission work and learned Creole. So she, everybody she saw went up and, I can't say it, spoke Creole to him and said, basically, God loves you. Do you understand what I said? This is what he said. Again, she had Alzheimer's. If she met you in the next aisle, she'd tell you again because she didn't remember she met you. But, this, but she filled her life with scriptures. And even when she was out of her mind, 
she was still in the mind of Christ. And this is um, what I really want to tell you is, she's at Walmart one day, and this got back to the family. One of the girls that she went up to and said, God loves you. She went and told her mother that I was going to commit suicide, but somebody told me that God loves me, and I decided not to. That's living your testimony. Another friend um, witnessed a serious accident. They were on vacation. Semi-truck ran into a woman, and she was pretty mangled and didn't know if she was going to live. And before the, the uh, EMS got there, he got out and was witnessing to her because he was afraid that she was going to die and not know Jesus. That's living your testimony. But you might say, Brent, I'm not in the business world. I don't have those opportunities. You know, I haven't been in those circumstances, but you do have co-workers. You have friends. You have family. You have classmates. Or you may even have the hardest job in the world, being a mother. Your testimony to your children is the most important testimony there is. So as you invest your time with Jesus, you will reflect Jesus. So again, let's put it together. Your life is your testimony. Your testimony will persuade others. You belong to Jesus. Your life should reflect Jesus just as Jesus gives us life. So, let's pray. And as, as always, I'm going to have a prayer of repentance. And then... Um, at the end, I'll have a, a, a quiet time so that you can ask and reflect. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do give us the words of life. We thank you that you did live this perfect, sinless life and died in our stead. And because that, we do have everlasting life. And, and that life is our testimony to you, Lord. So, Lord, I ask that you forgive myself for all the many times my testimony has failed you. But your word also tells us that there's grace and love. And when I ask for this repentance, Lord, you are more than willing to forgive. Just as we are to forgive our brothers 70 times 7, you will forgive us infinitely. So help me to have the desire to spend more time in your word. Help me to have more time to spend in prayer. Impress upon me, Lord, as, as I get busier and busier, I need you all the more. So take my life, take our lives, Lord, and help us to belong to you, for you to control us, because you do belong to us. And I just pray this in the name of Jesus.